Welcome to the episode of No Challenges Remaining, an emergency farewell Lena episode. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined as always by Courtney Nguyen. You miss her already, Courtney? I do miss her. I have so many emotions. I need to talk this out. All right, talk it out. I'm just going to give you the floor first, Courtney. What was your What were your thoughts when you heard that Lena might be retiring and then that it was, I guess, official? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who's been, you know, as people who listen to the podcast know you know, this doesn't come as a shock, I don't think, to, to either Ben, especially myself. Um, I think I said maybe sometime over the summer that I thought she was going to retire, yeah. at least by the end of the year. So that's not really a surprise. And therefore, when all the rumors started and, and even when you got official confirmation, unofficial confirmation, like whatever was going on while, while scrambling to try and um, sort out the story, it still was just... You know, I don't think that I was really prepared for it. And I think that one of the interesting reactions that I've seen just kind of, you know, talking to other writers and, and talking to people within the sport is is I really don't think that right now there's a player on either the men's or women's tour that is as universally beloved as, as Lena. And I mean that, and I know everybody will make the argument for Federer, but I actually don't know if that's No, that's def- that I definitely, I, mean, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think I think Roger's a much more polarizing figure. You know, there's more people who like him, but like in terms of, yeah, you're just not going to find anybody who is like, oh man, I can't stand that Lena. You're just not going to find that person. No. Like in fandom, in tennis, in the business, like nowhere. And I think that that's really something that we're losing, and and just that that charisma, the the kind of especially within the WTA, the amount of just respect that she garnered you know i mean everybody liked her and everybody respected her and um you know and that's all separate and aside from all of her trailblazing and and all of her you know obviously the impact she had on the sport um both in terms of of just straight growth but also and and record books but also financially and economically but uh but yeah i'm i'm genuinely sad and uh you know i was i was just telling somebody the other day that, or not the other day, but a couple of hours ago, felt like another day yeah. I'm in Hong Kong. So yeah. it's been a long day for me or a long 48 hours for me. But um, I was just saying, you know, there was never a time over the course of the last, you know, three years that I've had regular access to, to the press room, to Lena, that I ever was dreading talking to her or wasn't jumping at the chance to talk to her, you know, like I was many times the only person in English speaking press in a press conference with Lena doing interviews under stairs in Rome, I remember. And just, yeah, just, and so just thinking back on all of that and, um, um, and just thinking, you know, that, yeah, I've never dreaded talking to her until now, you know, like the next time that I talk to her, it's going to be a bummer. And, um, you know, while I'm definitely obviously interested to hear what she has to say and all these sorts of things, just kind of knowing that journey is over, knowing that this person that you're used to seeing all the time, who says hi, who's always been nothing but nice to you, nothing but cordial and professional, all these sorts of things, is, is leaving the game. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's moving to me. I totally agree with what you said at the beginning about her just being universally liked. I think the person who comes closest to that is probably Kleister's. I mean, I think yeah. that she is really... I mean, she's not, she does it in a different way. She's not, like, the sort of aggressively friendly that Kleister's was. Yeah. But she just 
there's never, you know, I don't think ever pissed anybody off. I don't think there's any knocks against Lena unless you're like, oh, Lena, how did you blow those four match points? I mean, that's the only right. thing you can ever say in frustration about Lena. Um, it's just, I guess, you know, pure results-wise, and that's not really fair in terms of character assessment. Yeah, but Lena leaving is huge, and I really don't think people are going to understand how important a player she is until years later, when this when the sort of echo generation comes from China, from Asia, and you start seeing, and I really do think this will happen, you start seeing, you know, five, six Asian Chinese names in the top 20 regularly, and maybe more. I mean, I think really she was very ahead of her time on that, and it won't be until later that we really understand just how seismic an arrival and success hers was. I mean, she wasn't just like a token Chinese player on the tour. She was a two-time Grand Slam champion. There's a huge, huge difference to not only be there, but be one of the best. And to do that with how sort of unblazed the trail was before her is really, really impressive. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right about kind of, you know, what this tour will look like in five years. And even, you know, just uh, the last couple of weeks, I mean, at the U.S. Open, the Chinese players had a great qualifying tournament, um, got a good number of women through the draw. Um, you obviously saw Peng Shui, who's older, so that's not really like a future of Chinese tennis kind of storyline. And obviously Zheng Zhe is older as well. But, um, you know, you do see all of that this, you know, even these, this week, tournaments in Guangzhou. Yeah, know, they won a lot of matches in Guangzhou. They won a lot of, yeah, uh, Wang Yanfan, I think, made the semifinals, um, losing to Nicolescu, Chinese wildcard, ranked 251. I mean, what you see is belief, and, and you see these women who, who, you know, had somebody to finally look up to. And, and I mean, I, I know that for myself, I, obviously I'm not Chinese, I'm Asian American, those are two very different things. I have way more in common with Michael Chang than I do with Lee Na. But, you know, I, I remember thinking this a lot and, and talking about it a lot when I was an attorney, and, uh, you know, diversity issues were always something that would come up quite a bit. Sure. Uh, because the law is not the most diverse <laughs> profession. And what you you really needed to, at least what I always felt like I needed to impart to the diversity committee or partners and um, people making hiring decisions was you don't understand how important it is just for me to see somebody who looks like me in the boardroom. It's not about, you know, pedigree and, and it's not about all the other things, but just somebody who looks like me, you know, and, and that resonates with me on such a very basic level. And that makes me think that I'm not, you know, that the, the, the path is not as difficult as I might think that it is, or, um, or it might be perceived to be, or I'm not as much of an outsider as I may feel. And, and I think with Lee Na, there was a little bit of that that resonated with me as well, as she kind of built the career that she did, and um, was just like, wow, there's like, you know, somebody who looks like me, she's Chinese, and, you know, whatever, but who looks like me, who's doing well in tennis, and, and that can only trickle down to, you know, Chinese players, Asian players, um, you know, players of Asian descent, like it, it, it really does matter. And so I think that's something that, 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 yeah, you're right, Ben, we'll see in time. And, um, that should be really cool. I think a lot of things on that. I mean, <clears throat> I think we talked about the same, sort of the same thing. We talked about Jeremy Lin once on the show and right. I think, and I think Billie Jean King has said it too, this sort of, you have to see it to be it idea, you know, where being a trailblazer and having people, things in front of you. That's how you get confidence, and that's how you're inspired. Um, and the Williams sisters have talked about that with Zena Garrison, even though even if Zena isn't as 
you know, wasn't as great a player as Lena. It still matters to have some sort of example in front of you that you can follow, and that will totally, totally affect how a lot of people come at this in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that applies even if you, you take, like, a player like a Gael Malfis or a Joe Wilfred Sanga. Yes, they're French, okay, but... You know, they, they're black and they look, you know, if you're a young black player, if you're like a Francis Tiafo, for example, oh, yeah. or Mo, like, you know, just seeing somebody who looks like you yeah, in no. the locker room, that makes such a big difference. That breaks down barriers, that mental barriers um, that, that that can't be broken down any other way. And and so that's really something that, that I think that, you know, Lena really did for, play, you know, Asian athletes. In, in Washington, where Mafia has played quite a lot of times, and there's a, obviously a very sizable black community here, um, African-Americans here, um, the number of black people at Mafia's matches is easily, you know, seven times what it is at a normal match of the tournament. Right. And people turn out for him and relate to him just based on that shared, whatever you want to call it, more than maybe they relate to Jack Sock or something. I mean, it matters. It crosses a lot of boundaries. And Asia, obviously, is so huge and such a diverse continent. Obviously, you know, even though we lump them together, it's not like Japanese and Koreans are like BFFs. Right. But these things can matter for that. And I think it also breaks down a lot of stereotypes that Asians have made about themselves in terms of some athletic shortcomings. I mean, people say like, oh, well, Asians just aren't built for this or whatever. Li Na wasn't like abnormally huge for an Asian. She was slightly taller than average, but not like a, you know, Yao Ming figure on any level. Right. Um, she's somebody who can say like, no, like stop making excuses. You can do this. You can be among the world's best. And I think that is a pretty empowering message for people to have when they might sort of put a ceiling on what they can achieve. Yeah. And she, and she goes, you know, in depth um, in her book about that, yeah. about, about the mentality of, of Chinese athletes. And, you know, and I think that that's something that, that really, you know, hit home a little bit uh, today. I was um, I'm here in Hong Kong for um, an ATP kind of press junket as part of the the Asian tour kickoff, and uh, Kani Shikori was the the player that they had on hand, kind of you know doing the rounds and everything. And so I spent the day just walking around Hong Kong with Kay. And one thing is that when he walked up, and obviously I I talked to Kay in the context of like. Uh, you know, one-on-one interviews or, or in press conferences, but for some reason, when he walked up today, I'm like, you are not a big guy. No. You know, a lot of players look a lot, actually a lot bigger when you see them in person, and, and Kay actually looks smaller than I feel like he is when I watch him on television or when he plays tennis. And, you know, so between the both of them, with Lena and Kaini Shikori, they are both players who, in a lot of ways, play a style of tennis that Asians can relate to because I think you're absolutely right Ben and and obviously this applied to Michael Chang as well back in the 90s but I think you're absolutely right that this isn't a situation like a Yao Ming who is just a freak of nature yeah I mean how can anybody expect to be that when he's like seven feet tall like right. that's just a different beast but with Lean On and Kay, they, they, they relied on speed, they relied on hands, on timing. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a, t- a style of game that, that I think Asian players can relate to when they're young. That if I can be, I, I know I'm fast. I'm not as big and I'm not as strong, but I know I'm fast. And if I can uh, get that and I have good hand-eye coordination, I might be able to make something of myself in this sport. And that's what they needed. That's the message people needed to hear. And Lena could also just hit the damn ball, too. I mean, she, could, she so, could hit the damn ball. Great offense, one of the best backhands, two-handed backhands of her generation by far. I've heard coaches say, I think it was actually um, Michael Joyce 
when he was coaching Jesse Pagula, still is coaching, I think, um, her even though she's been injured for a long time, was saying like the sort of player he wanted to model her after was Lena, because Lena's game was just incredibly, incredibly sound. And for her to sort of develop that game out of a place that didn't have a whole lot of traditional tennis coaching, I mean, she had national team coaches, including uh, Thomas Hogshead when she got a little older, but for her game to be as pure as it was coming out of China, it's really pretty remarkable. No, it's so true. I mean, that's pure talent. That yeah. backhand, I was thinking about it yesterday, that, you know, Serena's serve, uh, at least the, at least for me, in terms of, like, the most pure, aesthetically pleasing shots in the game, in the women's game, like, I'd go Serena's serve, uh, the covet of a forehand, and I'd go the Lena backhand. That's a good, that's of, a good list. You know, just in terms of, for me, just personally, like, those are just great shots. They can do anything with them, and they're just a beautiful like symphony of biomechanics like there's they're not fighting their body at all the wind-up is perfect everything about it obviously they can go off hint petra and lena yeah but when that shot was on and when they got the right coil and the right flex and, and everything it's just it's just beauty and um it's a bummer not i mean you know like i always i mean ben knows this like lena was one of those players if i had off time at the at a tournament i just took a sandwich and sat out and watched her practice because I just wanted to watch her hit backhands all day. It was like one of my favorite things. It was peaceful. <laughs> Courtney, yeah. what is your earliest memory of Lena? Mm. If you have one. I do have one, It's but they kind of all jumbled together. Okay. But. Or when did you realize that Lena was awesome? Let's put it that way. Oh, when, I, when did I realize Lena was awesome? I mean, it's got to be that Australian Open 2011 semifinal interview, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, like, even because I've been going through, you know, tons of transcripts and interviews and articles trying to, you know, piece together, obviously, like, Lena's best quotes and things like that. And I'm like, was she, you know, is, are, we, are we being unfair to her? Like, did she, was she hilarious the whole time and we just didn't realize it until she made a slam semifinal? But, like, prior to that, she wasn't. Um, you know, she wasn't confident in her English, so she was mostly speaking through translation, which never really caught, and she never felt, I mean, she never was particularly funny, and and it really was that 2011 run that um, just unlocked something. Yeah. In her. And uh, I think that part of that was, you know, was being signed by IMG and getting maybe some media training and um, and being a little bit more just owning her English and just being like, I don't even know, but I'm going to try. And being inherently hilarious. But yeah, I think it, it, that was probably for me when she elevated herself just because, I mean, I remember reading when she beat Serena, like in Stuttgart. Yep. And I was like, whoa, what? Like, who is this Chinese woman? And, you know, holy crap. Like, what did she just do? And obviously 2008 Beijing. Um, yeah, I made the Olympics, fourth, fourth place of the Olympics. That's huge. Had a shot at a bronze medal. People forget, like, if Lena had won a bronze medal, like... In China, that would have been amazing. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so I was aware of her, and I always thought she was badass. Like, <laughs> you know, she had the tattoo, and and she just kind of looked pissed all the time. She did look pissed of, all the time. She she has super angry Asian face, and personally, for me as another Asian who has super angry Asian face, like resting face all the time, like I loved it. And so, but I didn't know anything about her outside of that. Like, I just knew like. I didn't know what her personality was. I just knew that, like, in those... I still remember, like, Nike did those um, photo shoots of her and uh, Yan Zi 
I think, and maybe one other Chinese player at the time, but they were like these badass, like they were decked out in their chi- red Chinese kits and they were, it was like super racial, like it was like <laughs> dragons and like fire and like Lena just was like hitting a forehand and looking all pissed. I was like, she looks awesome. But it wasn't until, but it wasn't until 2011 where it was like, no, she's legit awesome. Yeah, now that breakout run, I really, I mean, she really seemed like she was ready to win that tournament. I remember, um, forget what happened in that draw, but pretty early on, I thought Lena actually could win the 2011 Australian Open. She'd been to semis the year before, and she seemed ready, and she won the first set of her final against Kim Kleisters before losing. Obviously went on to win the French then, and then another Australian Open final she lost two years later before winning this year. Which sort of gets to a question we talked about before with Lena, I guess. Is, is she... Results-wise, just talk about that off in terms of everything aside from personality. Is she an underachiever? Lena, for someone who has as much pure talent as she does, to, I mean, obviously her results got much better this year in terms of on paper, you know, getting a second slam and getting to number two in the world. But is she someone who could have done more? Is it fair to say? Or is she pretty much maxed out what she could have done? It's such a fair question, and it's one that I go back and forth on. And I think that when this topic, I think it came up at some point on the podcast. We've talked about it before, I think, yeah. Yeah, but I think we've talked about it before she won Australia in January. Right. Like, I feel like it was something. So I think back then what I said, and I, and I do agree with this, is that I think I said that she was under an underachiever. But then having done what she did and, and, and winning the Aussie and getting up to number two, and all that, I think I might dial that back. I'm not. I'm not willing to say she was an overachiever. She might have actually just achieved exactly what I think. She was I think she hit par by winning the Aussies. Basically, what I would yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I would say. And um, because there's there's, <laughs> there's a lot of extenuating circumstances with Lena. You can't just base it off of like some sort of career trajectory, like you know, a Victoria Azarenka or an Anna Ivanovich or Caroline Wozniacki. I mean, she had to deal with the the Chinese national system for so long. Yeah. And and that is, you know, all the burnout and walking away from the game, going and studying journalism and not really returning until she was later in her career. And she she won two majors in the span of three years. That's pretty good. That's not bad, right? I mean, and... And when she was already it, older. I mean, she was exactly. one of the oldest first-time major winners recently. I mean, Schiavone won, was a little older when she won. Maybe they were at the same age, actually. But, um, yeah, I mean, for her to break through in an age people weren't breaking through. I mean, people are winning slams when they're older, yeah, sure, like Serena, you know, Federer remains relevant. But to actually make your first step when you're that old, that's much tougher. Right, and then to back it up. I mean, it wasn't like a Schiavone, you know, flash in the pan and then couldn't do it again. I mean, she she, she did back it up. And so, um, I, I don't know, I think in, in the big scheme, the, the context of her career you know, getting that breakthrough, going through that that big long slump, and really, you would have been it would have been un- understandable for her to kind of be like, "Dude, I'm freaking wealthy. You know, I, my knee is like falling apart. I want to have kids. Um, I want to spend more time with my awesome husband Dennis. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm over it. Um, it it would have been understandable if she walked away from the game at 30 and 30 or 31, and she didn't, and she recommitted. And she she chased that whale, and she finally got it, uh, you know, in January. And doing it by not just, like, kind of, like, doing the same thing over and over again, but improving her game, taking risks, and really putting herself out there. And I think that 
I mean, Ben and I have both tweeted about it. We've both read it. I mean, people really do need to read her memoir. Oh, it's so good. It's isn't it so good? I'm so glad you finally read it. No, I I've, I read it this week. Yeah, when I when I heard this was happening, and yeah, it's so good. It's it's not it's a pretty it's not a quick read per se, but it's just a very sort of engrossing read, and it really moves you through her her whole story quite a bit. And like some of the stuff about like her childhood, about her parents and stuff. I mean, it's very. She gets pretty raw about it all, and she it's pretty gets raw. She goes dark. She's yes, like, it's just dark. It has some dark moments dark. in that book. She's yeah, like I felt like my I felt like an, an orphan. I felt abandoned when my mom remarried. Yeah. Like you know, like my father was everything. I mean, it, and it's just it's super emo and dark, but at the same time, it just gives you an idea of where her head is at, or her has been at, or or just kind of how she thinks, which is why when she lost early at the French, and when she lost early at Wimbledon, and when Carlos left her. Um, that's why, I mean, having read the book and, and seeing all that, I'm like, she's done. Like, because there's nothing more to do and there's no one that can motivate her. And um, and then on top of that, I mean, I, I said all that having not known, you know, the extent of her injuries, which, right. um, you know, she, she cites as, as a big factor um, in, in why she's retiring. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say, I'd say that she, she, she went for par, she hit, she, she whatever, hit par? No. Hit for par? No. What's golf lingo? I think she, she made par. And, made par. And I think, but I think that she did it in a sort of, like, incredible, like, her first shot was kind of, like, way in the rough. Yeah. And then she, like, hits a couple incredible saves and some pretty solid. And then a fairly short putt for the last one on the Australian Open because, I mean, honestly, that wasn't the toughest slam road anyone's ever been given. But she did it. And, um, yeah, she's... But if you, if you average out her run at the french oh yeah the french road was unbelievably tough it was ridiculous it was ridiculous she beat like go back and look at that run it's so ridiculous there was some stat like even if you looked at odds makers i think she beat something like three or four people who had been the odds on favorite to win the tournament because the odds because that tournament was right and stivoni who was defending champion i don't think lena was favored in any of those matches and she did it and it was very impressive so, Courtney, obviously you're over in Hong Kong now. I was supposed to be in China, and they don't seem to want me there, which is a little awkward, not going to lie. I have, like, my suitcase packed, like, waiting by the door, ready for China to say, it's okay, we'll give you a visa, we don't, we're not afraid of you, or something. You're just a boy, standing in front of a communist totalitarian government. <laughs> <laughs> Wanting to talk to a tennis player. Asking it to let you in. <laughs> I mean... It was, it's been pretty horrible, not going to lie. Like, spending, not even the whole experience, just like, because you're at the consulate, it's like a big Chinese DMV, essentially. Yeah. It's brutal. And it's so slow, and they don't tell you anything, and it's pretty rough. And so, I was going to be in China for three weeks, going to Wuhan, Beijing, and Shanghai. And so, and then now they won't give me a visa, which appears to be, from what everything I can tell, related to problems the Chinese government has had with the New York Times in terms of not credentialing anybody who's working for them after a few investigations that the Times did, I think, in 2013 mostly, about, you know, different financial dealings within the Chinese government or something. Obviously, that's not what I write about. I write about tennis. And so for me to get caught in this sort of international imbroglio there seems slightly ridiculous to me, because really, I was just going to write about Lena retiring. Like, that's pretty uncontroversial. But anyway, so it goes. I'm not there. Have fun for me, Courtney. Will do. But yeah, you're you're going to Wuhan next, I believe. Yep, and I'm in, in uh, 
12 hours. All right. So Wuhan is a place where all the world's top 20 were entered. Obviously, Lena pulled out due to retirement. But what does it mean for the tour to now have a tournament in Wuhan, which is obviously Lina's hometown, this big mandatory tournament in Beijing, more tournaments popping up, Guangzhou has a tournament, Hong Kong has a tournament, there's four of the uh, ATP 125s. Uh, is this sort of massive development, this big push into Asia, WT Asia, as our friend Renaissance dubbed it very fittingly, can WT Asia be sustained, and WTA China specifically, without Lina? Is this a, was this too much too soon for them? Is this a bubble that's going to burst? Or is it the right move? I'm very curious to see what Wuhan is like without Lina, incidentally. Yeah, Wuhan will be the difficult one, I think. Um, I think that the other tournaments, I think on some level they will be sustainable. I mean, obviously China Open being a mandatory tournament will continue to have, you know, a great field. And they have a great men's field there, too. Yeah, and they also have the men's field. So that tournament is, is pretty stable. You know, Hong Kong's a small tournament. It, it, you know, the other tournament, you know, Tokyo obviously has its long tradition there, so it's all right, although the, the crowds have not been great. Yeah. Although I don't think that changes. If I mean, Lina, I don't think, ever played the Tokyo Open for like the last like five years, so that wasn't really an issue. Yeah, and Shenzhen, so, I should add. Shenzhen is a January tournament yeah. they have also. Exactly, but it's a low-level tournament. They'll still get a ton of Chinese players playing it. You know, there'll still be some turnout, but... but you know, for the Wuhan tournament, a premier level tournament, the amount of backing that it got financially, the big push that the WTA has put behind it. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's sustainable. I mean, Wuhan is not a tennis market aside, apart from Lina. I mean, Wuhan is Lina. Lina is Wuhan. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen with that tournament. But in, in general, I mean, the push into Asia I think is a smart move. I do think that it was a bit too rapid. I just think that, you know, for the most part, everything that's in China that is low level, I think is still somewhat sustainable because obviously you're not looking for as big of a financial commitment, player commitment, all these sorts of things. But Wuhan, I I don't know. I mean, the minute that that tournament was announced, I I think everybody was like, huh? Like, she ain't going to play until she's 36? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So. I, I said that to Stacey Allister in an interview about this uh, when the champs were moving to Singapore. We talked about it in Istanbul last year after it was Istanbul's ending and they were moving to Singapore, which is a pretty untested market. Singapore has no real tennis tradition. Uh, we'll see what that tournament's like in terms of turnout and everything there. Um, hopefully it's good. I mean, no one knew what to expect from Istanbul, and that was great. Although I do think Istanbul got a fair number of traveling European fans who came for it because uh, Istanbul's uh, just a short jump from pretty much anywhere in Europe. And Singapore is kind of on its own geographically in terms of other tennis areas. We'll see, but I mean, yeah, the WTA was definitely on some level putting a lot of eggs into a 32-year-old basket that was partially held together with knee tape. A lot of knee tape. A lot of knee tape. Very cool knee tape. My favorite Lina thing, going back, is her tan lines. Oh, for sure. The The wrists and the knee. The knee tan line is just like very badass. When she's like shows up at some red carpet thing or something and there's this thing that says no i'm not red carpet like i'm an athlete who works all day in the sun here's my crazy shaped tan line to prove it and, and that's I pretty cool to, i i love that in her farewell farewell letter she refers to it as her tennis birthmark that was pretty great I, that's pre- i mean the whole letter was so good what her letter is it's so good yeah really really so good letter i'm very very excited that she i'm very very happy that she kind of got it to do it that eloquently i think the, the whole Obviously, the rumors and everything circulating weren't ideal for this, but how she actually did it when it came for her to have her voice. And she's going to do, you know, a couple press conferences and a couple interviews and stuff later 
uh, over the next few days, and probably, I think, in Beijing when the tournament goes there, too. But yeah, that moment was very nice for her. Yeah, so Asia, we'll see. I do think that in a long, that in a decade, there will be a significant Asian presence player-wise on the tour. Asia's could be a few rough years until then. I mean, Peng Shui has had one big tournament um, in the U.S. Open and does decently in doubles, but I'm not sure she's going to be able to sustain that. I don't think Peng Shui is going to be top 10. I'd be surprised if she did that just because of how up and down her career has been. I would love to see it. Her game at the U.S. Open was great, but I, don't have, I wouldn't put a lot of chips on that particular spot on the roulette table. And other than that, yeah, I think it could be a few rough, empty years then I think it'll hopefully fill up. And hopefully Wuhan has enthusiasm for tennis because they suddenly should care about tennis because they have they have where Lina came from. Even if she's not there, I would hope there was some sort of connection to the sport that managed to, to linger and sustain. And if Lina comes and, you know, waves to the crowd every year or whatever, all the better, too. This is true. I mean, it was interesting. I um, was talking today to Allison Lee, who's the head of um, the International Group Region uh, for the ATP. So she's uh, manages or is the head of, you know, all of Asia, Australia, um, and stuff like that. So we were talking about, you know, the growth of, of the Asian swing within the ATP. Because um, obviously they have not expanded as rapidly no. as uh, the WTA has. And there's a lot of, you know, contractual reasons with that, unlike the... Um, the WTA, the ATP, like the licenses for each region are non-transferable cross um, cross region. Right. So like, you can't just like create a tournament out of nowhere. Right. Like San you Diego know? moved to Tokyo this year. Right. That happened. Except for the WTA. Yeah. Right. But like you couldn't go Memphis to Guangzhou for the ATP. That's not something that the ATP can do. Right. Um, but but she said so. I was like, what constitutes success for you as you look go you know looking forward? Um, what what do you, you know what what do you need to see in terms of success? And I was kind of, on some level, I was expecting her to say something about, like, you know, growth of tournaments or stronger sponsorship activation at the, the ATP tournaments, more challengers, like, I don't know, whatever it is. And she said, we need players, Asian players, in the top 100. She's like, that's, that's to me, how I measure success, is having, yeah. if we can get 10 to 15 Asian, you know, players out of the international region or that that Asia Pacific region into the top 100, then everything else happens. Because once you get critical mass of players moving up through the rankings, then you get sponsorship activation, then you get tournament support, then you get butts and seats. And so that's kind of tying into your point from the beginning of the podcast, Ben, that for WTA, like in five years, if they can have this massive influx of, of Asian players into the top 50, mm-hmm. then the entire Asian uh, push is sustainable yeah, and, and will continue to grow and there will be a legitimate presence in Asia for WTA and for tennis. But if they can't get the players up there, it doesn't matter if Wuhan is a tournament or not. It doesn't matter if Guangzhou or Shenzhen or Hong Kong is viable right. because it's just it, it won't be. So I thought that was interesting. I just wanted to share. Yeah, I mean, it's, tennis is not an if you build it, they will come situation in terms of <laughs> putting a big tournament in China automatically means you'll have a big you know, player in China. I mean, look at like Dubai. There's never been any Middle Eastern player that's come out of any because of any sporting event in Dubai, not even tennis. I mean, just being there doesn't matter. You have to have the grassroots sort of thing. And I think China is prepared for that. I think Lina, what she was able to do, the money she was able to make, I mean, we haven't mentioned that, but Lina was the second highest paid female athlete in the world. 
she made Crazy Bank for somebody Crazy who Bank. relatively was not like a world-beating player beyond recognition. I mean, was it 23 million, 26 23 million? 23 million in, in the last yeah. measurement from Forbes. Yeah, she was second behind only Sharapova. She passed Serena. I think she was behind Serena in the previous year. Um, and she beat Serena on what was a good year for Serena, too. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. And yeah, I think those sort of things matter. I think that will get people wanting to play the sport. If you see this as an opportunity for make money to have a good living for yourself, for a female athlete. And for female athletes, obviously, opportunities are more limited than for male athletes. I think China actually has a pretty good history of equality in sports. If you look at like their Olympic teams, they've always had great uh, yeah. female contingents too. So in terms of a lot of the world, China's well ahead of that in terms of gender equality for sports. Yeah, it, but, it, it, yeah. ties, it, it does tie into to our discussion last week about you know why it's important for you know Americans or Brits or whatever to be or you know players from Grand Slam nations to be um, you know doing well and to be marquee players in the sport because it, it does have a trickle down kind of economic impact. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the same thing with China, right? If, if you can get those players in there, if you can get in, uh, inspire kids and, you know, create this kind of sustainable ecosystem of tennis where people, you know, women or men are, find it, to, you know, to be a, a sustainable living and, and something that's worth pursuing, then, then, you know, you got yourself a pretty good product in that region. You really do. And hopefully it'll work. I mean, the WTA has the basis there. They have an office in in Beijing, they have staff in Beijing, they have this whole sort of thing set up, and if they can do it, if they can sort of, because of the head start they've gotten, I mean, yeah, like you said about the ATP, ATP barely has any Asian players outside of Nishikori and a couple other Japanese guys who are well behind him, uh, Ito and Go Sueda, if, he's, if, he, if he is even relevant right now. Um, and they don't have any Chinese guys in the top 100, that's a huge, huge shortcoming for them. They would, I'm sure they would love to fill. And so yep. WTA can really make the first strides in tennis into the Chinese market. And that's a huge, huge, uh, big first mover advantage there is, is massive for them. And it can be really big for the sustainability of the sport. And it could be what this era is defined by if it goes that way. Totally could. It's almost an interesting situation where you see uh, probably the only s instance where ATP is actually kind of like, uh, their fortunes are somewhat tied to WTA's. Like WTA yeah. success would actually impact them in Asia. Um, would help them. And, and, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, the, the the ATP players are well aware of Lena. You yeah. know what I mean? Like in terms of, um, and as as well as ATP brass and and what she's been able to do in terms of opening up that market and getting, you know, whether you're ATP or WTA, getting more meetings you know with sponsors simply because now they are aware of tennis and now they're looking for sponsorship opportunities and they want to get into it and whether that's at wta or atp they don't care right and and that's a lot of kind of what lena was just kind of a crowbar in a lot of ways yeah. for for all of tennis to, to bust in there and everybody gets to reap the spoils not just wta so it's i mean as john as john kind of said uh, john wertheim in um his short q a about the impact of Lina's retirement, that that you know, that it has been said that Lina is the Billie Jean King of, of Chinese tennis, and yeah. it's hard to discount that in terms of the opportunities and game changing um, that she had as a player, and what she will continue both on and off the court, and what she will continue to have going forward. That's pretty cool. She's a pretty cool lady, Lina. She was such a cool lady. 
I don't know. I mean, do you have like good like what's your favorite or do you, what's let's let's have a Lean Astoriathon. Okay. Um, favorite Lean Astoria. I mean, they're just first of all, I love the or just moments. Moments. I mean, they're hard to sort of t- retell. They're just more like funny one-off like answers or like expressions and the way she sort of navigated this world of professional tennis which is a very weird world obviously and someone with her cultural background had never done it at the level she had um just dealing with the press and stuff i mean her sort of the way she could say something that was so out of the box funny they're not particularly i don't have examples per se but just like getting caught off guard by lena was always always amusing and her constantly ripping on her husband i think is amazing if you read the book her book like the sort of love story between Lina and Dennis or Zhang Shen, his Chinese name, it's just it's so great, and it they really do clearly, you know, very much seem like soulmates from the way they met when they were twelve and started dating a few years later, and yeah, they're just they're just yeah. cool together, and sort of his and, and sort of knowing at a certain point like that she had sort of her routine. Like, okay, it's, like, when she won the Australian Open, like, okay, I know all the boxes she's going to hit on her <laughs> acceptance speech in terms of who she makes fun of for what. And it worked. And it was funny. And just sort of getting to know her, her shtick, I think, was, in a lot of ways, much more um, gratifying than any shtick has any right to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, you, you're absolutely right that she had this kind of amazing ability to make you laugh in a really unexpected way and not because you were it was unexpected because you didn't think that she was funny or not capable but because the joke was like kind of out of left field yeah and kind of amazing and and at times absurd um there was there was a weird 30 rockness about her (laughs) in the way that she kind of sometimes would answer questions where you're like huh like, very Tracy Jordan-ness about her. Exactly. Weirdly. All of a sudden you'd be like, what? And, and, and you'd think about it and you, it would just be the funniest thing ever. And and yeah, a lot of it was little looks. She kind of had this very shy smile. She always, one of her little tics was to kind of start, every, kind of almost have a quip to every question before she got into the meat of answering your question. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they fell flat. Sometimes they didn't make sometimes any sense. Sometimes they fell flat. Exactly. <laughs> but... And and uh, but they were but at least she tried and at least she was I, I never got the sense that she was ever dishonest. Yeah, no. she was one of you know when we talk about someone who's a reliable narrator, unreliable narrator. I mean, she was maybe at time you know I remember what was it at the French Open this year when she lost to Mladenovic and she just was like straight up. She's like, I have no idea what's going on. Like I don't know what's wrong. I need to talk to my coach about it. you know and that level of honesty you don't get everybody like after a loss comes into press and especially top players and they bullshit they're like no you know it's just one loss and they sell you you on something yeah the other player just played better and all credit to them and lena was just like this match was not about my tennis it didn't matter about my forehands and backhands i don't know what's going on in my head and that is very frustrating and she was like you know and you're like okay well this is really you know actually insightful and and you know, helpful. Um, and then she would just have her quips. Like I remember, what was that? That shanked, horribly shanked serve yeah. that she hit at the Australian Open, and people were like, "What happened there?" And she's like, "I just wanted to get closer to the fans. I just wanted to improve my like, communication with the fans." Yeah, it was like I don't, I didn't see that answer coming. No, you know, but it was very funny, and um, and she always had a way of of just kind of like hitting. I don't know. She's just a funny woman, honest to a fault, and she just put it all out there. She, and uh, 
it was cool. She was just cool. I mean, basically, that's the main rule. That's the main two words I have that come to mind for her, are, which are not very articulate words, but are cool and badass. Yeah. She was a cool badass lady. She was a cool badass lady. Like John said, she was a tattooed, beer-swilling feminist who, like, ripped on her husband nonstop. I mean, she was she was basically Roseanne Barr, but like a tennis player <laughs> also. <laughs> There you go. We'll leave it at that. Like, I don't know how much any any other parting <laughs> thoughts you have on Lena or her legacy. Or I mean, obviously it goes without saying that we'll miss her. The tour will be less cool and badass without her. Um, and she was definitely one of a kind. So it's not like the next Chinese player comes along will suddenly have all these qualities necessarily. Any other, any other thoughts before we put a put a bow on this this career? No, I mean just what you said. She she will be missed. She can't be replaced. There will never be another Lena. I was thinking about it today that that so many players within the ATP top 100, WTA top 100, you do kind of think are kind of interchangeable. Like whether they're there, they're not. It really doesn't have much impact, and they don't really bring much to the table. They're kind of you know um, yeah sure fungible, and and she's. Just she wasn't, and um, she leaves a huge vacuum with respect to kind of a personality, a good quote, um, someone whose 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 narrative was interesting, inherently interesting on a weekly basis. And yeah, I I, I don't know, just me personally, I will miss the rapport that I kind of had with Lena, and um, we've said it before, like she just kind of always recognized me, obviously, because I was like the Asian person in the room that didn't have a Chinese accent, yep. and that was weird. So. Um, yeah, she will be missed, and I uh, look forward to, to talking to her again next week. But, yeah, I wish it was under different circumstances. Very cool. But very happy for her. I mean... I think I she seems like, at peace with it. I mean, I think she she said we'll see. said it was inevitable in her in her letter, which I think was a positive yeah, thing. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not entirely buying everything that's in that letter quite yet. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the idea of little tiny Lina's and Dennis's running around the world kind of makes me super happy. So... I hope that she gets that. All she's ever wanted was to be a housewife, and I hope she gets that. She would be. She would be the coolest mom. She would be the scariest mom, <laughs> but also the coolest mom. She would be. She would not be tiger mom at all. I don't think. No. But she would also be very like, like she's like be, she'd be one of those moms. It's just like like, why are you acting crazy? Like you know what I mean? Like, like seriously? Seriously? <laughs> exactly. One yeah. of those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will leave it at that. And in the meantime, if you want to follow us when you're not listening, you can by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis and subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast service and send us questions you might have for future episodes, no challenges remaining, at gmail.com. We'll be back to you more uh, later from the Asian Swing, presumably by Skype, assuming they keep me locked out. Not as badass as possible, but still hopefully pretty cool. And we'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. See ya.